Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Beam Voice Podcast. My name is Petro Conduraro, and today I have the pleasure to talk with someone whom I think plays a very important role regarding the Beam adoption across the United Kingdom and probably across the world as well. He is a data and digital transformation specialist and ISO 19650 Beam tutor. Welcome, Stephen Ellington. Thank you, and welcome, and thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this talk. Let's start by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, my name is Stephen Eglinton. I'm, I'm based in the UK. I work mainly in London. Uh, I have 20 years experience of managing information. So originally my background is in geospatial, so geographic information systems particularly, uh, and managing that kind of information, map-based information. And and now I am a consultant in information management, and not all of it, but large parts of that often are called BIM, and that's I guess what we're going to talk about. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you are involved in many uh, initiatives and organizations, uh, like uh, more companies, right, and. Uh, uh, British standard and can you tell us a little bit more about uh, that? Yeah, sure. So the so the, the training or just the standards? Uh, no, just uh, like a short uh, brief uh, through uh, all these uh, things or uh, initiatives or uh, organizations you are involved with. Involved with, yeah. So, so yeah. absolutely. So um so yeah, I'm involved with several companies. I work for uh, the sort of my main company, which is uh, called Geo Enable. So that's the consultancy I mainly work with. As the name suggests, we have a background in geospatial, GIS, and and we have a sub-brand now called BIM Enable. So that's certainly focused on BIM and information management and wider, uh, what we're calling sort of digital transformation digital engineering, digital construction, digital twins, so more focused on that. Uh, so that's the consultancy uh, vehicle, if you like. I also teach, I'm also a professional tutor in BIM, particularly the ISO 19650 BIM standards on behalf of the Institution of Civil Engineers, which is obviously based in the UK. Uh, I also teach uh, on behalf of the BSI, the British Standards Institution, institution um, across the world uh, when when I'm required. So I've, I've done that for uh, several years now, a few years. And I also teach on for the Chartered Institute of Building. I'm a guest tutor there. So And there's other organizations I teach, but I think the common theme there is it's all around the BIM standards. Uh, and what particularly interests me is I'm often talking to people who have no background in uh, managing information. So I'm used to speaking with people with very, very, very different skills. Just to quickly give you some more background, I'm a fellow of the British Computer Society. I'm a fellow of the British Cartographic Society. So I've got sort of a mixed, certainly a mixed sort of IT background, but often I'm more involved in sort of business change now. Uh, and just to finish my background, I guess, and maybe we will come back to it. Certainly I got involved heavily in information management, in engineering and construction when I used, to, I used to work at the London Underground as a permanent employee. So I'm just mentioning that in case we don't get back to it, but that was sort of the big turning point for me and become focused on sort of the engineering quality for information. 
I understand. For those outside London, what is uh, be, uh, underground London? So London underground is the metro, the metro system in London. So um, there you go, or the rapid transit system, which is what we tend to call it officially globally. So the, the, the train, so the underground train. So in the UK, particularly in London, we'd normally call it the tube. So if, if by mistake I call it the tube, it's not by mistake, that's the nickname for it. So the equivalent in New York is obviously what they call the subway. So it's our, it's our metro system. Yeah. And the first yeah. in the world, first in the world. Okay, I understand. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's go from uh, from from somewhere uh, basic. Uh, what is your uh, definition of BIM? And and uh, before before you start, uh, from yeah. our previous uh, talk we have we had, uh, I know you have two definitions. You have one official like uh, standard yeah. uh, uh, interpretation of BIM and the more holistic one. Start. Please start with the with the standard one, and after that, if you can pivot to to the other one as well. Sure, uh, absolutely. So, so there's different definitions depending on who you ask. So, certainly the the uh, concepts and principles that I would identify with are more encompassing, and they are captured now in the International Standard Series ISO nineteen six fifty ISO one nine six five zero, and they approach BIM as a whole life approach to managing information for assets, so physical assets. So I see BIM in, in, through the eyes of the standards. So it's, it's more about manage, clearly managing information at all phases. So not only the design, the construct, which most people are focused on, but the through into the operational use of the asset and the potential decommission or repurpose. So it's about, it's a whole, so I'm simplifying it here because obviously there's a standard which describes it, but essentially it's about a whole lifetime approach to managing information about the built environment and built assets. Uh, and these standards are originally from the UK or the precursor standards, should I say, and uh, which were called BS and PAS, PAS, uh, 1192-1192. So, so it's more about information management and it's not just about construction. And a lot of people, so that's my, what I understand BIM to be, and I, I'm a sort of practitioner in information governance, information management, so that works for me. There's a lot of people interpret BIM not wrongly because it's always what it used to be and certainly is for a lot of people uh, as far as 3D modeling or, or 4D modeling, which would have time and that's originally where the terminology comes from. So it's not that they're wrong, it's that the scope is different, the, their, their focus. And certainly 3D, 3D models and 4D, 5D models are part, part of the key information deliverables. Um, so, it, so it's a question of scope. It's a question of if you're talking about a thing, as in a model, that would be the more traditional interpretation, or you're talking about a process or an activity or an approach, which is more what we mean in the international standards now. I see. Uh, yes, uh, this is uh, one of the challenges I have uh, regarding the 3D model. And like you said, it's a very important part of BIM, the 3D model, of course, but it's incomplete. Would be yeah. would be incomplete to think at the whole 
approach only as the 3D model. Absolutely. And it's perspective and it's, it's time. It's not only the, I say scope as in breadth of what we're looking at as in a, a physical sense rather than a building I'd be looking at potentially, depending who, who I'm talking to, all of, for example, the rail sector, potentially depending who, who the client is and what the conversation and what we're focused on. So rather than a bridge, it, the, the, the scale and scope absolutely depends. It could be all of the infrastructure. It could be a school or all schools in a whole country, depending on the approach. Um, but, uh, but it's certainly delivered and focused at a project level. That's how you would capture the, the information typically. Uh, so certainly it is focused on a project level, at least at this point in time. Um, and, and that's where a lot of information is generated. But, uh, but certainly we're seeing more of a focus on the, the maintenance and potentially capture of information of existing assets, existing infrastructure. Uh, and, and that's sort of a growth uh, area where I think we need to focus more. Yeah, a very uh, ignored or uh, not prioritized area so far. Yeah. And not only for old projects. Uh, this I think this is still a challenge for the new project as well. I don't yeah. I, I don't think the focus is still there like to require uh like uh, documentation that is going to be used in the future yeah and i and i think people do what they're asked i think that's the other reflection i'm because i've always managed information um i've always looked at the bigger if people keep talking about the bigger picture but i'm going to say it as well the bigger picture the end game if you like so people say start with the end in mind and all these kind of things around BIM around the management of the information. Well, it depends who you are. If, if you work in a project and that's what you get paid to focus on, you should be focused on the project. <laughs> that, that, that is your job. If you're a project manager, please focus on the project. Um, and please focus on the project requirements and deliver, and they'll be physical. And now we have cl clearer, clearer definition around the digital requirements or the digital deliverables which have always been there, but maybe not as precise as we needed. So, um, you know, it depends who you talk to. I, should a project manager on a building, a building, should they be focused on the whole of the, you know, the, all of the buildings within that company's portfolio? No, because that's not their job, but they should do what they're asked. So I think certainly the focus for me, and as in this is what we need through the standards, and this is what we, what we want, is the client or whoever's commissioning the work, they need to ask. You know, you get what you get what you ask for. So BIM is about making sure, particularly the client asks um, for for what they what they need uh, and what they want. And that this is this is it needs. This is a challenge for some people because it's not been thought through fully in the past, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, you are right about that. And uh, how do we? uh what can we do about this because if someone is just comfortable to have a set of requirements for a project they did it like take a municipality or something they do it in a specific way right and we want to change we want to do it better but how how should we approach this how can yeah. we break the ice so so how we how we change we, i guess it's like with anything so i intentionally didn't 
go into too much de detail when you ask me what, what BIM is, because it, it means, obviously, it's in the standards. It means different things to different people. Certainly, people talk about collaboration a lot and, and change management or digital transformation. We, but that is a core, core part of it. We need to change the way we work. Um, and it's happening. But how do we get people to change? We have to make it um, desirable and part of the normal way of working. So in my mind, BIM, there's a parallel with health and safety practice, for example. So clearly BIM can add value to health and safety. That's not what I'm talking about. I understand that. I'm talking about a conceptual parallel where, particularly in the UK, as I'm sure in other countries, but particularly in the UK, we're quite focused with health and safety and people uh, often joke about it, but it's, it's obviously very good. And we've, we've increased, particularly since the 1970s, and particularly in the construction sector, improved safety dramatically and it's because a, a way of working and a safe way of working and safe practices and risk mitigation is part of the culture so we have training there's things in place like cdm which is the regulation around it cdm 2015 but the, the point being we've changed the way we think right so even even me as an untrained person in health and safety i would know through the culture and the environment in which I'm, I work, if things are unsafe, I, you, you know, it's, it's a cultural, it's a way of doing things. It's a, everybody knows enough, you know, and where people need focus training, they have it if they're in, in charge of a site. So why I'm talking about health and safety is it's, it's sort of ingrained, embedded in the way we do work. And I think that's, will be the biggest turning point and it's starting to happen with, how we use information, data, digital deliverables, where it becomes the norm. It's just the expectation. Um, and it's slowly happening. So, so, for example, we can quote the standards with BIM. I suspect most people couldn't quote any of the standards with regard to health and safety, but they do the things that are required because it's part of the way they do their business. Do, do you see what I mean? So BIM yeah, yeah. exceeds digital when... It's just how we do things, and that's where we are with some sectors, for sure, and maybe not quite where we are in other sectors, for example, the built environment. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's, that's how we change. We change by working differently and behaving differently and asking for different things of people. Uh, and I think we're certainly getting there. There's, there is a change. Yeah. Um, so... We, we, you mentioned before uh, that it's important for the clients to, yes. to get to a level where, where they can get requirements, right? So this, this should be, this is a very important uh, requirement for BIM adoption to flourish, right? To, to get to the next level. Do we have any other areas that we are struggling with? Like if you look at the entire supply chain, or uh, all the stock uh, uh, stakeholders involved in the in the building process. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I guess because, uh, like I said in my introduction, half you know, maybe not half, but some of my time, let's say a third of my time, is is teaching, is professionally tutoring people through sort of the BIM standards. It's, um, I guess, to some extent. I'm not surprised in the sense that people need help because that's why I'm there. They've, they've chosen to come on a course. But um, 
So I guess in some way, bizarrely, it's hard for me to tell what the industry is like as a whole because I interact more with people who want to change. They're, they're either paying me for advice as a consultant because they want to change or they've come active within reason it's actively come on a training course. Um, but as far as the supply chain, it, it is, um, you could argue that's changed faster. Again, most of my experience would be particularly in the United Kingdom. So, but because there is a, you know, to be quite frank, there'd be a commercial advantage for what we would call a tier one or, a, you know, perhaps a main contractor or a consultancy. There is a, just let, let's, let's say everything's equal, which it isn't, but let's pretend for, for example, I'm a client and I could commission work, physical construction work from several companies, for example. One of the criteria that if not now in the near future would be potentially be a discriminator above, let's say all things being equal, it, it could be the digital services they, they offer me because it's an investment. So I think what's happening is the contractors, the large contractors particularly, they have seen a, a advantage. They have seen a commercial benefit. They have, for example, consistency across their own projects, how they monitor their own projects, how they share knowledge across their own projects, learnings across their own projects. Um, so they've been quite fast. I've worked with, you know, several, I was going to say a few, but several companies at that level. So big, big sort of companies. Uh, so they they see. It. I think the I think the big challenge is then if it does offer a commercial advantage, we're not necessarily hearing loads about where the benefits are because they're commercial benefits in the private sector. Uh, but yes, certainly certainly people are doing it, doing it. Uh, you know, I've got luckily got some first-hand experience of that. There's certainly the government's driving it in the UK. Um, but but I think the the challenge is we need more examples, we need more case studies, we need more um, sharing of best practice, and it is happening. It is happening now, more, more than it has been. I see. Uh, but this standard, uh, the BIM standard, 19650, it's not yeah. mandatory, right? It's just uh, something that companies could or might implement, but it's not a requirement for, uh, for like, uh, general requirement right that, that's right so it'd be the the client so most of the activity in the uk is the the client which in the broader context in the uk has always has been the government in a lot of the case studies so the central uk government as a customer as a client they would be requiring require, requiring it if i can talk within their contract framework so that's how BIM works in the UK. It doesn't have to be private. That's just the example and where we've typically focused with case study. So it, you get what you ask for and the client is asking for it. There's no regulation at this point. It's likely there will be, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't have any first-hand experience, but it's very likely that it, the first experience of where BIM might be in some kind of regulation or legislation within the UK may be around fire regulation in following the Hackett review. So the Grenfell Tower fire. Now there's, there's um, Hackett review came out, which made recommendations around having what we're calling a golden thread. So this common theme of information, like a minimum requirement for information that persists through the life of a product or a system. So a wall system, for example, 
and that's to, very clearly to do with fire and safety. So it's likely that would become some kind of regulation, but at this point in time, that's not the case. Uh, so is the client asking? And it's for the client, therefore, to check they're getting what they're paying for. That's, what, that's how BIM works here. I see. Uh, what about the clients uh, that you have? Uh, yeah. How do they feel after? Uh, do they feel urged to try to adopt this? Do, we, do they see the value in going, in embracing this new mentality? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I, again, it might be a slight bias in the sense that people will have approached me because they want to change. I'm not, I don't tend, I don't tender anything. I'm not trying to convince people to change. If I work through industry bodies, then for reasons that are not commercial, certainly I'm interested in trying to communicate with people to convince them. But um, it's people quite rightly are conforming to uh, government recommendations and policies and uh, best practice. So, so there's been lots of sort of reports and good work from the central UK government around. So, for example, data, uh, data for, uh, for public good and things like this. So, the National Infrastructure Commission, for example, uh, is a is a government-funded yet independent body of the central UK government that provides. In, national infrastructure, uh, strategic recommendations to the UK government. And again, they've been focused on this. We have something called the Centre for Digital Built Britain in the UK with the University of Cambridge and a department called Bayes. So my, my point being, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of uh, momentum. There's a lot of best practice and research effort gone into it. So people are following, you know, they're following that lead. So we certainly have the government which is very fortunate and why no doubt I'm talking to you because we have the government leading by example with, with this. And, and that's where people are following that example. Um, and, and, that, and that's how it's work. That's how it's working. You know, the, the government is practicing what it's preaching and it's, it's, it's working. Things will take time, but we're seeing things go in the right direction. When you say government. Yes. Uh, you mean like uh, from a legal standpoint, the, is that like they they put out these laws, or you mean by the authorities, by uh, by the buildings, uh, governments of of the United Kingdom or something? Yeah, so it's on so it's on multi levels, I guess. It would be the so in April 2016, there was what people commonly refer to as a BIM mandate, but there's something called BIM Level Two, which I guess people, I won't get into the details. People can look that up if they're interested. BIM level two, but it was a minimum, a minimum requirement of expectation of information delivered during uh, a, a newly funded project, construction project. So, so the government is doing this research. There are things going on. There's sort of top level activity around BIM and digital twins and dig digitalization and digitization of that. But in addition, each government department has has to be asking should be asking for bim in their own construction project so if a department x or department y is is building a new let's say school for example or a let's say a flood defense they they will be asking for a a bim methodology and some kind of uh, data deliverables which are use an open format 
again, I don't know how much detail people want to go into, but we're as far as data deliverables, we're focused certainly at this stage on Kobe. So it's an open, it's an exchange schema. It's a way of, uh, it's a common way of getting data that I can reuse in a machine readable format. So again, there's lots of sort of tools, if you like, and ways of doing it, but there's certainly uh, the, the central government, as in originally the cabinet office and then Bayes, which is the Department for Business Energy and Industrial Strategy, um, has, has put out strategies, government construction strategy, for example, in 2011 was one of the first ones to talk about in that way. And it's, it's a, it's like, it's sort of policy level saying we will do this. We will do this. This is the expectation for every government department by April, 2016, the expectation is every government department will do you see what I mean? So they will be asking for BIM in, in the manner that I'm describing, which is the process during their construction projects. And, and it was, it's quite clear it's there in black and white and it was published openly in 2011 saying that's the expectation. How well did that went? <laughs> well, I mean, I, well, I mean, I, I've actually been directly involved to some extent later on, not at that early stage. So I can't, I guess, you know, there'll be, can't say too much in the sense of what, what, what sort of reporting the, um, what departments are doing, but the, the, the open fact is that it's going definitely in the right direction for sure. I mean, e each year, um, the, the, we've been looking, see that we, as in the government, not me directly, looking at the trends of spend on capital expenditure of, of construction projects, and it's going in the right direction. So how do we do things more efficiently, you know, to, to save costs, frankly, more efficiently, sort of, and um, where do we get savings? How do we look at things like off-site fabrication? We're talking about modern methods of construction now, which maybe we'll get onto that sort of more than BIM, if you like. This is happening so it is going in the right direction so how, how well is it going well it's going well um things can't change overnight particularly because of practicalities like contract frameworks for example so if if you have a framework you know a legal framework for subcontractors for example they can't all change overnight there can't be a new expectation so as as contract frameworks have come up for renewal bim in the sense that I mean, is being put in them. And I either had first-hand experience or say second-hand experience in the sense that I've been working with people that are doing it. It is going in the contracts, frameworks, and then the contractors and subcontractors that work on these frameworks will be and have to work in a way that conforms to the expectation of, of uh, you know, the, the, the BIM standards. So, so it is happening. So it is working, it is happening. Uh, so that's a fact, uh, but obviously things won't happen overnight. So again, it's a, it's a journey, it takes time. Anything of change at scale takes time. And if everything did happen overnight, there'd be huge risks in making big changes wholly to every department in one go. This, this is not the way to do it. Even if that could be done overnight, you could flick a switch and we had infinite budget to do so there'd be there's very big risks with that again that's probably my background in managing information generally you don't you don't change everything overnight you you, you know, as we need to change like with the contract you make the changes at that point and the, this is an appropriate and measured and 
appropriate way to approach it. So that's what I would expect. I see. So uh, the things are actually uh, going slower than expected. So maybe we we have been a little bit too optimistic well, about. No, the, uh, well, no? well expected from whom? Not from me. No, no. So if you would, so <laughs> that from, wasn't that from, wasn't why I said that. I said no. They're going as planned. I would suggest there, there was always. I don't know if you're familiar with the BIM wedge. The uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, the, yeah, sure. Yeah, the main. So again, without going, people can look that up, can't they, for the detail? Without going into the, I guess, the detail. The whole point of that was we are on our journey. That, that, that's the whole. Yeah, so, yeah, so no, that, I, I know. I I meant only by 2016 that because well, no, that was. The, no, but they are. Do, no, but they are. They are. They are doing it. So 2016 was all new projects. So not not projects okay. underway. So all uh, and are they doing it? Yes, they are doing it. So yeah. yes. So would everyone? So when I say everyone, I mean every private sector. I mean every government department. Um, some departments don't build a lot as well, because <laughs> obviously people think about the infrastructure or people who build the departments that build schools. They are doing it. They are doing it. There are some departments that just don't build lots of things. They have offices. So when when I talk about departments, I I don't just mean infrastructure. It could be departments. You know, government departments that just have offices and don't, or, or maybe places where the general public go, citizens go, that they maybe don't build a lot. So, so again, it would be, they would, they would might change when their frameworks come up for renewal. So, so I think that's the where we need to be clear. It's it's covering everything, everything that's infrastructure, everything, every department that's not infrastructure that you wouldn't think is in scope that simply would only need to use office blocks. They they're in scope as well for their own. For their own infrastructure so yeah they, they they can't all change overnight that's that they might have outsourced things they might have different contract frameworks yeah it's a lot it's a lot to to digest it's a lot to coordinate and uh, yeah make sure it's scale mm. yes this is a national a national scale and it's every sector every domain every skill set every um yeah so uh, I, i think it's been a success and i'm not i'm not saying that from you know i absolutely it's been a success and then certainly the international standards that have grown from the original sort of uk activity have also in that way been a success because that was the hope was you know they would be grown upon and built upon and they they have done they're, they're now international standards i see uh what would be for you uh, an ideal uh process from from planning to using maintaining and maybe demolish it or reuse it later what to what level should we need to get And uh, in how many years do you think we will get there? Uh, well, some people are doing it already. So again, it depends on scale. Uh, in d d does that does that make sense? So some some people, I think the challenge is some people already do what we're describing in BIM. I think it's just that we don't. So for for example, some uh, some utilities or energy production, for example some sectors within energy will already be doing modeling like plant for example where you know there'd be where there's uh, generators for example and turbines they would already do the concepts of what we're talking about maybe under a different name but name years ago 
uh, and they call it, call it product lifecycle management, and manufacturing does it. So some people are doing it already. Uh, I, I, guess, I guess your question was, when will everybody be doing it? Uh, I, I don't know, is the answer. It would, and also, it will even, it, I, I mean, to some extent, there's no end in that way. I think that's why we've moved away from the levels in the UK more. We certainly had sort of level two, and people talk about level three, which is not defined. So you, you can't be achieving level three. We haven't defined it. The UK government's not defined it. it it's a continuous journey, isn't it? It's a digitalized journey. Um, yeah. So when, when will it be finished? It will never be finished because BIM should hopefully have continuous improvement at the core of it. If, if we're in, in essence, if we're gathering lots of information consistently to help us make decisions and collaborate and work in a smarter way and maybe re-engineer the processes and the way we uh, manufacture buildings rather than construct buildings, depending how you look at it, it should be a continuous virtuous improvement cycle. It, or, or we've missed the point because we should be learning so in, in, in that way, we'll never been done. But where, where, as far as getting to the minimum requirement, um, some people already have achieved this. I think, that's, I think that's the challenge. Some people are already doing it. Some people are not doing it. Yeah, I understand. I, I understand what you say. Uh, I might not uh, have formulated this uh, well enough because I, I have in mind some, some challenges that I see uh, in bigger projects, uh, especially. Yeah. Um, yeah regarding uh, the silos and inefficiencies like you said like uh, some uh, plants maybe are easier because you have the owner and they coordinate everything right but when you have bigger projects and you have so many teams involved and so many uh, actors in the process i see that as a very like there are many many things that you can say and pick up and say yeah this is a very inefficient way to do it from this yeah. point of view i was referring like uh, when when we will get to uh, to how how long it will take until we get to a level where we can actually uh, all the the stakeholders or uh, yeah uh, will uh, uh, be in the same place talk the same language and work like uh, to to, well, to achieve the same goal. Yeah, <laughs> I I know what you mean. I think it's, it's challenging because. Like, I guess what I said at the beginning, if BIM is successful, it might be that the paradox is we might not be talking about it um, in, in that way. So, for example, if I work in, I often work in the rail sector, do I, do I need everyone on a project? So, for example, let's say everything goes as I want, as, unless I'm in charge of the, the BIM or the information management activity. If it was a very successful project in that specific element of we, the information is understood by the client and the whole throughput of information from creation to use to monitoring, checking, validation, would, would I expect everybody to understand BIM? No, not at all. Uh, by name. Maybe you could argue either way because I'm sure I at this point in time I probably would because it'd be good for their career and they etc etc. But in time, let's say in a three, four, five years, do we need to be talking about BIM by name? Mm, maybe not because I'd be let's say I'm the I'm helping the client. I would be procuring a model, an information model, in a broader sense, not just a three D model. 
and providing I get that and the, the, the processes are embedded within my working practice, within the information systems I use and the checks are part of our working regime, that would be a success to me. Um, yeah, of course, because it would be the new status quo. Sorry. Exactly. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, no, so I agree. But would, would then, but then, in let's say in five years' time, would I then be holding BIM or digital twin training classes? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, the standard will have the name in it, and that, and that's absolutely fine. And that's like I I see BIM as the minimum requirement, if that makes sense. It's the it's the starting point for getting the basics right, so everyone's on the same if you like benchmark, they're on the same level, it would be then the effort should begin. Like then the clever thing should begin in the sense of then what do we do with the data? Then we're talking about dashboards or we're talking about analytics, data analytics. We potentially talk, or we should be talking about machine learning, artificial intelligence, big data. That's the next step which should be done in parallel. What do we do with the data? If we get all this data, which we're getting, what should we do with it? How do we exploit it? How do we learn from it? How do we do modeling in the broader sense of data modeling? How do we do modeling? Um, so how, how the, and I think that's the challenge why I can't answer your question directly because all of that in my mind is the same picture, if, if that makes sense. As, as soon as I think everyone's doing the minimum requirement, which is fulfilling ISO 19650, immediately, I'm certainly interested then in the analytical side of it, the, you know, the use of the data, which is certainly the use of the data isn't defined within that standard, then we'd have another standard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so yeah, some places, yeah, I mean, let, let's say, I guess what you're looking for is how long, well, I don't know, maybe five years for, for everybody. I mean, I, I just don't know. It just depends. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I see. Like uh, exactly what you say. Like this minimum beam understanding yeah. and the implementation is like yeah, it's it's like common sense, right? Why it takes so many decades to implement it? That's but yeah. <laughs> well, I, so I completely agree with you. So why? So I guess back to one of my first comments was people do what they're asked to do. So again, this all it's a way of working. People ask about the supply chain again. It's Again, I'm quite focused on the client. Again, that's where I think it's it's quite good that in the UK we're focused on the client and in the in this case particularly the government as a client. You get what you're asked for. You get what you're asked for. So let, let's in my world, that's why I like digital twin as well. And maybe we won't talk about it in, in too much detail. But the concept, if if I have a digital representation or, or the data or information, I I should I should be checking it. I should be validating it. If, if just for one moment I say, well, how do I check the physical deliverable? Let's say a bridge. How is it checked? How is it validated? How do I test the materials that it's made of? How do I, how am I confident in the safety of it? I would, well, I'd look at the specifications that I, that I give when I commission a bridge, for example the requirements, the load capacity of it, for example, load bearing capacity, the size, the dimensions. I might have learnings from previous structures that have been built. Um, so all, all, of, all of this, this is a specialist domain, civil engineering, right, and structural engineering. They're professionals. And even then you have subdomains. 
so, so as far as creating the digital model, and at the moment we're using language like BIM, which, which is fine, and that's the standard, I would want people with the same kind of skills that focus on the checking, they understand what they should be checking, uh, the quality, you know, all, all these aspects from the physical world in the digital world. I don't think generally we're quite there yet in the sense that people, we talk about data science, as something separate to BIM, as far as the standard it is, but in my mind, we need to work closer together. You know, we need data scientists to be part of the conversation. This is very important. I really would like to come back to talk about this exactly after I ask you this the closest yes. question, sure. which is uh, when, when we talk about, when we think about using a 3D, a BIM 3D model, like design it, and use it afterwards all the time. Like that is called a, three, a beam 3D model, right? And what is the difference between, I don't really understand to be honest, the difference between three beam 3D model and digital twin. What is the purpose and what is the difference between two, two concepts? So, so certainly digital twin is a representation um, I mean, in a sense, there'd be one document that's worth reading called, in, from the UK, Gemini Principles. Um, so it's got the concepts and principles around, in the UK, they're building, uh, focused on building a national digital twin. There's a national digital twin program. Um, so that's something to look at, and Gemini Principles is one of the key documents that's come out of that to date, plus, plus others at this point. Um, but what, what's, what's the difference? So, so, so a 3D model is simply 3D. So because, again, I've said it many times now, I have an information and data background, there, there are lots and lots and lots of data or uh, metadata as well as data or parameters or attributes. So in a GIS background, I would talk about attributes of a, let's say it is a building, that you can't see. <laughs> So they're not, they're not three-dimensional. So for example, it could be the cost of something, it could be the material type, it could be potentially hundred or hundreds of things. That, so particularly having a GIS background, we're quite used to linking information. You know, so, so, and we, we're quite familiar with the fact that you see it, and traditionally it would have been 2D, now it's also 3D on a map. If I click on it, if I interact with feature, we'd call it a feature, and I guess we'd call it an object now, it would be pulling data, pulling data potentially from other data sources and doing analysis and pro probably fairly detailed analyses, multivariant analysis, possibly on tens, who knows, on hundreds of variants. That's quite normal, particularly for, G like I say, GIS. It's, it's that kind of mindset, which is what we're trying to get people to understand the use of a digital twin. So a 3D model, <laughs> I guess my question would be, what other attributes are in there? 3D is silly, exactly. another because dimension. I might want another 50 or 100 pieces of data to make that valuable. And sorry, sorry, and just to finish, because I have more an infrastructure, uh, just an infrastructure background, it's very unlikely that they would be in that model. In so, so if you think of a neat building, a building, and you might want to put things in that model in the, in the 3D sense that you described, in my mind, particularly with infrastructure, we wouldn't have a model. I'm not going to have a model of a railway. I'd have models. 
And the other thing is it's, it's likely that they would not have all the information in there for safety reasons, for confidentiality reasons, for performance reasons. Do, do you see what I mean? So I'd be linking, I, I might be linking to a cost database. Uh, so, so that's where if you, if you think of that concept of linking things together in a system, system of systems <laughs> or networks, things linked together, uh, in, a, in an information sense as well as a physical sense, because that's how infrastructure works. That's where we're more moving with digital twins. It's more about connectivity. What would that be? A common data environment or? Uh, well, um, I mean, common data environment is is de defined and described in the in the ISO 19650 standards. So that has a quite clear definition as far as the standards. Um, as that's something broader than the definition within. I mean, you could you could just say yes, it could be, and it would fulfil some of the requirements. Um, it would probably be broader than the the definition currently within the standard. Um, so so be, so for example, in in use, I'm often focused in use. I, I realise a lot of people interested in BIM are in the design and construction phase, and often I work. Uh, or at least traditionally more in the operational, the use of the asset. In which case we might use different language. So on, an, on a pure IT level, we, the concept around managing information and not having duplication, having a master set, some people talk about single source of truth, we call that master data management or MDM. Um, so what would I call the system? I'm not sure is the answer. It depends. It would fulfill common data environment functionality. It might be an ecosystem. It might be a system of systems, but it's probably going to be something broader than the current definition. But the, the concepts and principles would align with what in, our, in pure IT we call master data management. And that's a mature, well understood concept from at least 30 years ago. So, and that's what we're delivering through BIM. BIM gives us things that already exist often in the IT sector at its core, but with the, with the language, appropriate language and framework to implement them in the built environment sector, which we've been lacking. Yeah. Uh, this, this sounds so much comp complexity right here. And this is a problem. How can we get this simpler? So everybody would like to be more willing to 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 take the jump to learn more about this yes. because i think this this scares a lot of people the complexity yeah. things right i think i think it's at scale so scale i'm used to large very large scale i guess but it's for everything to me it's i see it as um i guess i've never used the word modular but i guess that's how i see it sort of chunking things down so for for example uh, again, if I just stick to rail for a minute, people say, oh, how good, you know, what, let's say the level of definition or the level of detail or what's the precision or accuracy that you need in the rail sector. Yeah. And, and let's do talk about a 3D model just for a minute, like survey, measured survey that would give me a 3D model. It, again, that's not, you, I can't answer that question because it depends on the asset group. Are you talking about civils assets like bridges and tunnels? Are you talking about signals? Are you talking about track? Are you talking about overhead overhead line, the, the electrical pickup, that's what makes a difference. So e even, even one sector like rail isn't a sector because there's also telecoms, telecommunications, 
Yeah. They, <laughs> do, do you see what I mean? So the, so the question should be more precise. It should be, can you tell me the specification level of information need? Now we call it in the, in the international BIM standard. What do you need your information to do? What, what decisions do you need to make with this information um, in that asset group at this point in time? Uh, and, and that's where people simply haven't, um, either they haven't thought it through or, they, or, or it's in their mind, we need to get it on paper. And that's why I, I keep talking about processes. The, the reason is in my mind, we need to map processes as in where does the information come from currently, who uses the information, what decisions. So it, it, it's all to enable decision-making and until we understand them fully and in more detail, things won't things don't progress they progress slowly so it's about decision making who has to make decisions how critical are the decisions why are they making decisions uh, that's what it's about that we we are facilitating them decisions i see you know i might stumble a little bit too much on uh, on the words of uh, of beam building information the original definition right because building information uh, management or better management came later right in the start we had yeah. like this was the first definition maybe coined right and uh, maybe i stumbled too much on the modeling which well clearly says it's not model it's modeling how you shape yeah, yeah, mod, mod, right? okay so even modeling and this is where i sort of i'm quite not amused, but I, I often play on this when I'm teaching to, to hopefully make it clear, is even modeling is interpreted. So for example, because I have a information management background, if if you said modeling to me, even even now I would I would immediately think more about data modeling. So weather weather modeling. So for example, so if if I if I talk about weather modeling, people don't think of a 3D model, they think of some kind of data model and things occurring because originally I have more an environmental background. So, so I would think even now out of context, if someone said modeling, it's more likely I'd immediately think of that something more complex. And, and then if someone specified, Oh no, actually I'm creating perhaps a 3d model, then I'd say, Oh, okay. So it depends where people are coming from. So in the, in the standards, the international standards, when we talk about mod models, as a noun rather modeling and we do mean the, the whole collection of information so we talk about asset information model project information model or pim and we mean all of it so it, it so it would be 3d models it would be specifications it could be health and safety material it could be what it could be photographs let's say photographs are used for signing off for for particular milestone or gates to, to sign things off that would all be in scope and then that collectively and hopefully connected linked to each other through, through the you know sort of a database type um concept that's you know that's modeling and the, the whole thing is our information model and that's what we mean in the standards we, and we don't and 3d is a part of it um so yeah so it's quite challenging in that way where we have even even architecture just just slightly changing it i i often work as a and have worked as a as a solution architect or a senior solution architect or an enterprise architect that so they have been 
on some contracts and consultancy. Now, these are obviously IT or information management type names, but it's even interesting that if someone says architect <laughs> to me, yeah. I, would, I, wouldn't, I would not, even though obviously I work with architects, I wouldn't immediately think of someone building a building, depending, I would have to second, I'd have to double check because I, I am often an information architect for, do, do you see what I mean? So even these fundamental concepts, we, we have, we in IT, we have reused the words. Yeah. Uh, but for a long time, mind you, information architects. And without thinking like how these words were used, were being using in the, yeah. used in the construction industry. and. <laughs> Well, well, the thing is, at the at the time, it what it was uh, it was intentional because it is sort of paying a compliment to the complexity, obviously, of architecture and design. We design it. We design information systems. So you you use words like design. Your design is used in that sense. But I guess traditionally, the same people wouldn't be in the room, though. <laughs> so so this is what BIM gives us. It gives us this good, if you like, conflation. It's, it's, we are now putting people together that traditionally would almost certainly never have been together in the same room. So we just have to be careful. Um, but it's a good thing that we're, that we're talking, right? So we, we can iron out these challenges around common language that it's not infinitely complex to do that. We just have to be careful. Yeah, I never thought about this actually. Like if you have, if you've been involved a little bit with programming, if you have a little bit idea about how this works, like maybe that would be a reason why I see beam 3D beam models, like with uh, with uh, all the information they need to have yeah. there, not only like 3D dummy models, if you can put yes. it that way, right? Maybe it's a little bit too broad uh, definition, but but I I think this is the true definition, right? Of, of yes. Well, it's it's not the so I mean, you're asking me directly. So I'm I'm saying right, but normally I wouldn't have I wouldn't force these conversations. It's um, it has to be meaningful to people. Yeah. Um. Let, let, let's say just I know obviously we're talking about BIM, which is good. No, this is this has got me to in in sectors perhaps and in conversations where I wouldn't have been years yeah. ago. But let let's just pretend BIM didn't exist as a term. Uh, it would even be harder, I think, to have these conversations. So, for for example, some people have challenges around, we want data and information to be machine readable. This is one of the core concepts about commonality, structured data, and of course there's unstructured data, but ideally I want structured data to, to have automate things, make it machine readable, look at patterns, trends, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the, the fact that there might be some challenges around that, and maybe there is a skills gap with some people, that, okay, I appreciate that, but the good, the fantastic thing is I'm having that conversation. So yeah, I, I will be right. in front of people, almost certainly, let's say in a consultancy role, I wouldn't have been talking, let's say 10 years ago, to people about how we, define how we call components of a bridge it's some some people but not at a data level i might have been but it would have been let's just say it would have been a harder conversation you know so these conversations have have to be had you know how do we define the elements of a of, for example a bridge I, I keep going to rail there but we're having these conversations and it won't happen overnight and it's i have an in i have an in and the in if you like is bim 
but there's work to be done. We, we exi- you know, some of the railway exists for 200 years, you know. The London Underground is, you know, 100, 100 years, uh, you know, is we should... These things are not new. These assets are not new. We maybe just, we need to appreciate the fact of what's already occurred and be appropriate when we, when we try and implement information systems. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking maybe the, the technological development in the last year, years, like uh, the last uh, decade that happened, uh, was a little bit like something that pushed us to try to wish to implement this in every other sectors in our lives, yeah. right? Like what happened with everything with data in with all yeah. these companies. Uh, but um, so going back to the digital uh, twin, so now uh, maybe this uh, this term was coined by people that uh, got stuff to to try to. Um, uh, to explain each time, uh, yeah, a 3D uh, beam model is something that has all the information. So, so now, but for me, I, I still don't see any difference. Like my definition of 3D beam model is the same. Uh, what you say, it's a digital twin. I don't see any difference there. Well, no. So it's a representation. So it, it could be that a digital twin has no graphical. Ah, okay. I so mean, you that, mean... That, that would that would be. Uh, so, is there a hard definition at this point in time? Absolutely not. But it could. So it could be intentionally at this point in time. It's broad. So I, I might be. I might have a digital twin of transportation usage in, let's say, London. Would it necessarily have every bus stop micro detailed? No. But would it be fair to, for me to call it digital twin? Yeah. Within what we talk about at the moment. Yeah. So it's a representation. It's intentionally not hard and fast because, um, and also, like I said, in infrastructure particularly, you're not, you are not going to have everything in a model. That just, that just isn't the case. It would be an ecosystem, an environment, a, you know, representation. Yeah. Yeah, does, I understand. That, that makes sense. So it's, it's more, yeah. um, it's more the ecosystem in which this digital twin lives. That's, if you like, the more important thing, the most important thing, having the infrastructure in, in all senses, in the, to the IT sense, but also yeah, the, yeah. the governance around it, like the management of the information. That's what comes with it. Whereas a 3D model could exist on its own on my laptop in my home. It, that could exist there. Whereas what we want to have is something that's more... Um, like people say people say holistic but more linked and 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 one of the other things is it's linked back to the physical so certainly something we can can absolutely agree on and and is that with regard to digital twin it would have a feedback loop if you like so as in it's maintained and it's likely we would have things like sensors so how how do we have a link from the digital to the physical and back again yeah and i know i'm just saying and back again but that's the bit that we've always been missing particularly when I speak from GIS, it's always, it's often been linear. You survey things, you maybe do CAD like design, then may, maybe traditionally I would be further down the chain as in I might get the information and use it to do analytics. There wouldn't be this feedback loop as, as in it wouldn't be the normal thing. So the critical thing is we're making it cyclical or a feedback loop or iterative. This yeah. is the and dynamic, live 
live. So it could be live. It could be again. It doesn't have to be live. Live. Yeah, it could yeah, be. Sure. But but yeah, exactly. I think that's the day. Why it's not? It's just then I'm just being measured in my responses because then it's um it could it could indeed be and in a lot of cases it would be. But then that might not need to be the case. It might be weekly, yearly, and you know so annually or whatever it is. It's just an appropriate. It could be. So, for example, where the term has come from, and again, most people probably know this, but certainly originally from NASA, particularly, and, and other work from the US, the, the, the name Digital Twin. But certainly Formula One is another um, manufacturing. So the point being manufacturing aerospace and others have used this name, this term, for a long time, decades. So the term is new to most people in the built environment sector. It is not a new concept at all in manufacturing, particularly in things like aerospace, super precise. They talk about it. It's just that we haven't had a systems approach to necessarily to all, all parts of the built environment. So we're, it's simply a systems approach which has existed in, in other sectors for a long, long, long time. So someone didn't invent it to, to, to but some, so, but it's appropriate that we're referring to it because that, that's, that's how people think. So I talk about F1, uh, uh, and often a, an example, clearly a different sector, but often an example is the telemetry or the sensory equipment and the data feed, which is the telemetry on a racing car is in real time in milliseconds feedback because it's that's needed do we need that on everything no but would would i want feedback on a on a heating system in a school yeah i i, I probably would for various reasons would i need it every millisecond no could be every day could be every hour do, do, do you see what i mean so it absolutely yeah. depends on the requirement i think that's key to be open about that and say because often people don't like to say it depends. <laughs> so a lot of my time I say, well, it depends. What do you need of the information of the, your decisions? Um, and I think a lot of people are nervous to say that it, things are not black and white. There's a, a spectrum. I see everything as a spectrum, as a scale, as a scale uh, and everything has appropriate context. Maybe because originally my background is in environmental sort of biology or whatever that I see context, I've always seen context, ecosystems, things in their place that are linked to things. And I'm very comfortable with that. I don't, I've never seen things in isolation. That's, that's not the real world anyway. Things aren't in isolation in the real world. Yeah, I see. Thank you very much for uh, clarifying this for me. This was a very good um, explanation and I, uh, it, uh, I really got the aha moment. And I, I understand now the difference right. and what actually, because I, I was thinking like, yeah, digital twin, I, it's a digital representation. I, when you say only this, I understand only, yeah, a digital representation, like a, a scan and you have it, it's digital representation, right? Yeah. But not, uh, I did not know about the metadata and everything. You can have a lot of metadata in the 3D model as yes. well. But maybe maybe you can go even so far as you can include some dashboards as well. But you need to stretch yourself quite a lot. It would be much easier to have a system of systems, like you said. To yeah, and it depends what you're trying to ask answer. What is the question or what is the decision? So, for example, if the decision is 
what what is it, let's just say uh, we're talking about heating or air cooling systems or whatever air conditioning systems in a in a given building the the question the decision might be on their their um efficiency over a period of time now you talk about dashboards so some kind of analytics or or or, or um, business intelligence related to that now, the answer isn't showing me a 3d model in that instance the answer is probably a graph <laughs> yeah do, 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 do you know what i mean like that that's where the 3D will be a core part of it, and I absolutely required by lots of people. But if I if I'm looking at the the trending or li let's say life cycle, um, the degradation pattern. So when when assets fail or their life, you know, they, again you can get these from the manufacturer. They would have an estimated life, uh, for example. Analyzing that kind of information may or may not be relevant to its location often location is a factor but nevertheless the way i present that and analyze that it you know it's unlikely i'll be using 3d models to, to do that uh, in that scenario um and, and and that's the even though i have a very 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 strong sort of graphical and mapping background it's actually these other potentially sort of non-graphical things that maybe excite me more because that's where there's more scope for doing more deep analysis with, with data. It's not all graphical. Yeah, sure. Uh, haven't you dived yet in data science a little bit more? Uh, sure. Uh, in, in what sense? You, you, like you're asking me if learning. I've done machine learning? If yeah, you sure, go back but... to that, because yeah. uh, I will, I will uh, the, the, the next episode I'll publish, uh, I had someone who actually is doing this, and we, he shared uh, quite interesting things regarding this. Uh, and yeah. Um... Yeah, so, so, so physically myself, no, but likewise, I wouldn't typically be building a, a 3D model, for example, if, if that makes sense. So not, not, not physically, but have I been directly involved? Absolutely. So some clients have been um, uh, looking at, so for example, just generically, year before last, I was helping a, a startup company in the UK, and they've, they've been looking at, um, and I was leading their sort of strategy around BIM and, and digital transformation. And, and obviously reuse of data, we were looking at planning applications. And uh, so the likelihood of a, a planning application uh, would succeed or not, given the geographic location, given other parameters. Uh, so that was all machine, and we were working with others to, to lead that. So that was all looking at machine learning and AI and uh, absolutely. So yeah, and I, I speak with people often that are doing it. I, I, again, I've not done it myself, but I still see it as a tool. <laughs> So, so is it? So it's you know quite exciting. Uh, it's like when laser scanning came out, and everyone does laser scanning. So you know, point cloud model type creation. I think the, the challenge is, well, what are we going to do with it, or what's the what are we looking for? Um, so yeah, I've been so I've definitely been indirectly involved, uh, and I'll talk about it a lot. And I understand its capability to, to, in a detailed level. I physically haven't done it myself, but I think we need to be absolutely clear what we what we're trying to do. Yeah, what we're trying to do with it, and do we trust the data that we're that we, we're using to train train? So I think that's where BIM. So I think it, it's good for you to mention it because I think that's where if we talk about training sets, so information to train a model, where do we get the data from? <laughs> so get so again, I think that's where coming at 
BIM, you know, getting the basics right, the consistency, the repeatability, the trustworthiness with the information correct, sort of ongoing this trust, I think is, is leads itself perfectly to what we're talking about, which is sort of AI machine learning, because you need repeatable, you want training sets of data. This is what we can get from repeatable, you know, re re repeatable versions of data. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of perfect in that way. We know it'd be structured in a certain way. Um, so yeah, I, th I think they need to be linked more together. So, so although that's, that's very interesting, AI, even, even simple or more simply talking about even just analytics and business intelligence, even in a more traditional sense, that that's where I don't see them linked enough to BIM even now. So, so the representation of the, without even talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence, just li linking analytics. Because there are business intelligence professionals and a very, very, very mature business intelligence uh, global capability that's probably being untapped as well in the context of what we're talking about. So I think I think we need to uh, get them involved as well and have that conversation as as well as AI. People listen to AI as well, so this is where we need. To... Yeah, it's interesting. Um... Dalton, it was Dalton Goodwin, uh, my previous guest, and he, he mentioned mm. that his company started employing already data scientists. Yeah, sure. uh, th That's really interesting, and I, and I think this, like, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a requirement for, for every asset owner or uh, uh, company uh, operating, because it's a, it's a really big, big function that we don't we don't use it. We have so yes. much data that we can, we are collecting and we don't use it. We just dump yes. it there. And I, and I think things are developing. So I was working with the central UK government uh, in 2017, 2018 to help them uh, develop their capability around public asset registers. So, that, you know, the, what you were calling the digit, uh, digital national asset register. And the, the analytics capability is, because uh, I'm still in touch with, with the, my colleagues at the time, the capability around analytics. And, and you know, I was more focused on getting, getting the data in there and the approach to how we, we improve the governance around the information. Uh, but certainly the analytics capability is a, is a core focus um, and something that they're still developing. It's, it's a lot more mature uh, than, than when I was there because it's a focus. So I think so. I think these skills often are very mature in other sectors. You know, you look at insurance, finance, absolutely, um, pharmacological. <laughs> so that's where it's quite interesting. You look at other sectors. So for example, uh, I often, again, give an example when I'm training as a joke, say, well, what's master data management? I'll, I'll say, well, put it this way. If I call up for a loan, uh, any bank in the in the UK, they would know within seconds who I am you know, because there's a third party reference and they'd either say yes or maybe no or whatever, but they, they, they wouldn't be, oh, we think it's this person. They would definitely know who I am, everything about me. So that's, that concept at least is sort of, you know, is underpinned by master data management principles. And that's what we need for our assets. You know, so projects come, projects go. They're very significant in the fact that they create assets or buildings or infrastructure. That's very significant, but they come and go. And then certainly we talk about also interventions. So we do things to the asset or the, or the, whatever it is, the building, 
we maybe fix it, we maybe change the material, we maybe, whatever we do, we do interventions. And then also in the BIM standards, we talk about event triggers. So things happen, events happen, things happen, and they trigger us to either want more information or, so, you know, so things, so it's these things we need to focus on over the life of, of the asset. Uh, you know, what do we do with the asset? What might happen that's an external factor? So certainly some work I'm doing now is also focused on how do we have plan resilience for assets, you know, in, in relation to insurance of assets. So that's, that's interesting as well. Yeah. And we need, we need consistent information. So it's the same story. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Um, do you see any way that machine learning and artificial intelligence won't disrupt and won't be integrated in our, in our industry? Like, like, uh, people talk about BIM from uh, 2005, maybe, I don't know, for uh, 15 years, let's say, right? And we still struggle today to understand clearly and uh, to different levels, right? Do, do you think it uh, is the same case here or it's very well de defined and much better used in other areas and it's going to be easier to, to translate it to our um, crafts as well? Well... So AI, like, like I say, people are already doing it. So even I've got first-hand experience of doing it. And I'm certainly not an expert in these things. It's um, it's just another tool set. I think I think that's where again where I'd see perspective. Not I, I, it's not fair to say I distance myself. That sounds because I'm deeply involved. But it's I keep a rational, measured approach to to technology and trends because they come and go uh, and language so will it radically change things absolutely will we be talking about ai again it, it, we already have it so for example you look at consumer apps apps on your phone or or amazon or uh you know ebay record or netflix recommending this is ai yeah um, sure would people talk about Netflix having AI to recommend me films based on my profile and the time at which I'm watching films and the, the trend, the minutiae metadata attributes that are pinned, uh, attributed to each film and then algorithmically suggest things. No one's having that conversation, but we use AI every day. So I think, will it change things? Absolutely. Has, has Netflix changed the way we consume films? Yes. Has Uber changed the way <laughs> we have taxis, yes. Ha so has Amazon changed things? Has Google changed the way we search? Absolutely. Do when I talk about Google, would someone, a non-IT person, would they say, "Oh, that's because it has artificial intelligence and deep machine learning behind it"? No, they would say it's a good search engine. And I think. Uh, so will it change things? Absolutely. Will people be talking about it? Well, most people will be talking about it. No way. <laughs> like they don't know. If I ask my, so my dad can understand he's not an IT professional, but he would understand Netflix and the, the fact that it's a streaming service and the fact that the convenience around it, et cetera. But the, the way it's working, I don't know how it works in that way, but the, he doesn't need to know, you know, it recommends. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the, the parallel I draw there is, is with, uh, with the built environment sector as well. These things will occur, are occurring. Um, 
but people won't know. Consum if it works perfectly, uh, if it works seamlessly rather, consumers don't, don't think about it. And I think that's the paradox with a lot of modern IT. It works so well, you don't know it's working. Uh, and that's, um, yeah, that's maybe a challenge sometimes. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, are there any other uh, tool sets or other things, exciting things happening for yeah. in the AAC industry or AAC? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly, I guess, I guess things like immersive technologies, so things like augmented reality, um, uh, you know, so projection uh, ways of consuming information is certainly um of interest and so for, you know just virtual reality for example there are people and again i've tried it myself and they're not tests these are actually being used to teach people health and safety protocol on on a work site on a construction site for example so it'd be a simulation of um maybe even a real construction site and where where for example a a crane might be or some heavy machinery and how they should navigate these are being used today uh, so artificial intelligence sort of closes the loop as far as the human experience with the information, particularly around training, particularly health and safety. Um, so, so you engage with the information and, there, there, and therefore it puts the importance on the accuracy and appropriate level of information, detail and definition to how you're going to use the information. So certainly that... I've seen a resurgence in certainly in maps. So again, that's obviously my most of my career or certainly the background to my career where there's a huge, if you like, resurgence in mapping, map visualization to simplify complex information. So we can talk about machine learning and, and big data and things like that, but one, one way of consuming it is often on a simplified map. So, so again, sort of things like GIS and these concepts are coming together. So, I, you know, I'm certainly familiar with Esri, Esri products, ESRI, which is the global leader in mapping software. And they've strategically partnered with Autodesk as well, which obviously are more traditionally focused on the, what people would have called CAD and AEC. So they're working together. It was a continuous sort of journey. Uh, so yeah, absolutely having having that kind of link of the data. But what yeah, what else is exciting? Um, uh, but certainly drones, you know, uh, certainly things like drones or UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles, or UASs, un un unmanned aerial systems, depending what people want to call them. They are commonly being used. Um, there, there's an event which I've been, which I I'm I'm on the organising committee called Geo Business. The plug for geo business here which is in london each year um so and i was lucky enough to chair that i think in 2017 now but i but the point being it's around geomatics geospatial geomatics being survey yeah absolutely it's fascinating we see drones there we see we laser scanning so certainly capture methods as in survey capture data capture has come on a long way uh and that still remains quite exciting the way we could we can now use a, a, even just a smartphone and we can create a three-dimensional rendering of an object without using laser scanning. It uses, you know, sort of the algorithmic modeling. Um, so I, I find that absolutely fascinating. So the, the, the ability to create models in this sense, in this one, I do mean 3D models 
from simply nothing more than a smartphone and then do measurements with it um, is that that's absolutely fascinating. So I, I find that very um, in, engaging. How accurate is it? Is? Well, I mean, it varies. So it, it, it would at this point in time, it wouldn't be described as engineering quality. Right. So, so it, it depends again, because I see a spectrum, it, it may, it, however, it may be fit. So you can still measure down to millimeters. Often these things change so quickly, right? So at the time of recording, it would say millimeters, but it was, it was even the same with laser scanning, not so long ago that, that you would have to have been careful, but so you'd have to be very careful, the precision and the accuracy required, but would, would I cut a hole in the ground based on it? Well, I mean, it, it depends. It depends how close you are to the, if there's anything under the ground or whatever. But you could certainly measure a volume of a room. You could measure walls appropriately. Um, and, that, and that's often good enough. That is appropriate for what people want. Um, and there's always going to be a scale, like a scale of precision versus cost versus accuracy. Uh, so people using drones with scanners on them, as in a laser scanner or li LIDAR, as so traditionally we'd call it often people are just using a drone or a uav with um just you know a normal normal uh, a normal camera basically on it and processing the images to to create a model this can be done now yeah for professionals in aac for engineers for architects for everybody working in the aac industry right for those who are interested to learn more about what, how our industry is going to be in the future and to help maybe with beam adoption, do you have any resources or any advice you would give for, for those who want to learn more and to, to, to become better at what they do? Yes. So. Yes, certainly. There's several places. Again, this is obviously I have a UK perspective, but there's um, there's a good resource in the UK. We have um, uh, something called the UK BIM Alliance, uh, and they, in collaboration with the BSI British Standards Institution and um, the Centre for Digital Built Britain, have um, resources and guides, particularly on um, ukbimframework.org. So ukbimframework.org framework and uh, yeah, there's there's resources there, and that's that's growing. So it's people like you know professionals like myself, for example, are active. So you know I've I've not authored any of the training material just to say out there, but I've been involved in one one of the subgroups which is affiliated with that, which is uh, been for infrastructure over the years and and been for rail and things like this. But certainly a place to go on the on a website to read more is certainly. Um, UK BIM framework. Uh, there's generally, again from the UK, the Centre for Digital Built Britain or CDBB. That's again a government funded in collaboration with the University of Cambridge uh, initiatives. They have lots of um, proof of concepts and initiatives to forward BIM and beyond, beyond what's BIM. Uh, so that's another place to look. So that's Centre for Digital Built Britain. And then something else which they're d directly involved with and, and indeed leading is the, um, we, we've got the UK, it's the National Digital Twin Programme. So if you, again, if you search National Digital Twin Programme, um, 
there there is one of the major documents that come out of that is called the gemini principles so again this is like beyond beyond bim if you like but gemini principles just to answer your question if people are sort of on an earlier trajectory as far as bim certainly there's training courses out there i offer them this wasn't in, set up as a plug but certainly there's online training you are, you there's certainly online training courses yeah i'm involved in lots of organizations so just to say them first institution of civil engineers does it bsi provides bim training globally so i'm involved with both of them ciob chartered institute of buildings they define bim training i'm also involved with them uh, and then i also run bim training uh, so one place to look is geoenable.com is the original website and the, the website that's focused on training is bimenable.com so that's bimenable.com and we provide online and you know when we can face-to-face -face training as well and often often there's people there with it's more awareness i think this is the point where a lot of people don't want initially very detailed they want an awareness they need to know as we've discussed the terminologies what could be meant by something so i'm quite um you know i do go through the formal standards these are focused on the formal standards iso 19650 it's a good place to start but giving examples and maybe saying you know this is how it is in the standard but this is what people might think or this is what people might say so that's bimenable.com uh, another one just to quickly plug i'm also collaborating with esri esri which again is the global leader in mapping gis solutions and we have a combined two-day course which is at the moment obviously being delivered online again there's information at uh, geoenable.com and bimenable.com and so we do that's a two-day course which is new we run this is the first time we're running it this year where the first day is is sort of me giving the setup to the broader aspects of bim the fact it's a process a lot of the things that we've been talking about and then the second day is focused on the esri solution so how might you practically uh, and that's particularly focused on people that have a gis or geospatial background uh, and and their solutions but most of my my training isn't focused on specific solutions but that one is so uh, so yeah uk bim uk bim alliance uk bim framework center for digital built britain uh, and then if, if people want there's also training through my company bimenable.com um and, and, and these things evolve. I think things like you're doing, so thanks for inviting me. I think people learn a great deal also, things like podcasts and videos, because it's a conversation. You know, certainly another place to look, I, I should say, uh, this year, so May, June and July of this year, I've been involved in the Festival of BIM and Digital Construction. Yeah, sure. So I was fortunate enough to, so I also hosted the, so again, people can provide, um, Sorry, I, I could provide a link if you want to put it in the description. Now yeah, yeah, sure, to, of course. Yeah, they, they've got on-demand webinars and lots of them, and I've, I've posted some and I've spoke on others. But that, that's a great place to look. Um, I've watched so a dozen of them. <laughs> yeah, and they're great. So that's yeah. another another online resource I'd recommend. But uh, for uh, for uh, more specific skills, uh, like, uh, do we agree that if someone is picking up like a civil engineer picking up with data science like uh, yeah. power bi or something else learning would that help in his or her career or we yeah, don't so still have uh, the the jobs for for this kind of skills well well it's, it's a challenge isn't it because i mean i i know people with 
sort of PhDs in BIM and masters, and, and it, it depends how things evolve. There'll be there's always going to be a place for very very um, focused skill, um, but likewise, what we're seeing is a blended skills. But to directly answer your question, certainly analytics, sort of immediately. Let, let's say I could only recommend one course, and someone doesn't have the the, the time or or the money to do sort of a degree level course. So if we if we just talk about something sort of more immediate in that way, certainly learning analytics. So there's business intelligence and analytics, the, the language around it, the capabilities, and there's different tools out there. You know, sort of Cognos, there's MicroStrategy, there's, um, there's lots out there. Learning the language around that, I think is absolutely vital because that's um, like, we've, like we've already talked about. I think that's where we're lacking um, and then there seems to be a big gap between that and what people would call themselves a data science, where they're doing programming. There seems to yeah. be a gap. So I wouldn't, I certainly understand data science, but I wouldn't describe myself at least at this point in time as a data science because I'm not a, a coder. I'm not a developer. I understand. I, I did used to do some development, but so if that's at the moment what we mean by data science, um, I think there's a gap there. Uh, but I'd, I'd certainly focus on things like analytics as you, you and have a, an awareness of AI, have an awareness of machine learning, the terminologies around it, yeah. what the mm. capabilities are. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, basic, uh, you know what involves, but, uh, but uh, who, uh, there are no jobs yet like this, right? Like, let's say if I, I, I start searching this, I learn these skills, and I, I can showcase something. I can I can get the uh, asset owner and I can show him or her. Yeah, you have this building. I can analyze it and give the, uh, give you this information. Uh, this might be a, a backdoor kind of uh, yeah uh, career. Well, I I I I think you I think you're right in the sense that you showcase show um, if if BIM feeds into so BIM's about many things, but it feeds into uh, making decisions, improving decision making. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of things to get there, but that's one of the one of the, th the things. And improve processes. These are skills that are already mature in the sense that process. You talked about analytics, absolutely. So, so again, I, I guess it's um, because I have a background in mapping and GIS. Then I would always think about present presenting the data. You know, my, my first professional job as a cartographer, as a professional map maker, that's my, my background. So in a way, I'm always thinking, how might I present this data? And not necessarily on a map. And I think a lot of people don't think that. So it's good that you sort of you call out analytics there. A lot of people aren't thinking, oh, how might this look on a graph? Or yeah. So that, that's statistics. Even taking a step back, how you would get there, even the, forgetting the presentation just for a moment, that is t statistical thinking so some awareness around statistics around um you know metadata or data quality data quality uh, around data presentation uh so yeah just data presentation I, I talk about analytics and bi it might be easier to search maybe just on data presentation there might be more uh let's say more accessible tools to get into initially uh, and then as soon as you've been handling data, so again, a lot of, certainly a lot of my earlier career was actually having to clean data, find the data, so tabulated data, cleanse the data, check the data, validate the data, prepare the data, link the data, 
Like I've been, you know, I've done hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of hours of, you know, so for example, a, the, the way a date is uh, written within a field would be inconsistent. So I've had firsthand experience of inconsistencies of data. So I think there's something around uh, when you present data, when you actually do it, then you suddenly realize you need consistent good data. Yeah. or it doesn't or it doesn't work <laughs> so, so i think you're right i think that's one of one of yeah i think that's a great example to look at analytics and data presentation did you use a specific no, tool? and there's a lot more to it and the only other one i mean there's a hundred things people could look at obviously look at the standards get some bim training but also um process improvement again that's a very mature um a very mature separate um topic is process improvement but that's what we're trying to do with modern technologies and modern ways of working is improve processes. Um, so things like Six Sigma Lean, uh, again, people don't have to do this, but just have an awareness of the fact that it's often very helpful, at the least, to map out processes as far as where information comes from, goes to. And when you think of a process, you think of inputs, and outputs by definition that is a process you input something maybe we're talking about data yeah. and you output something else and that could be a dashboard it could be more data it could be so, so focus on processes i think as well yeah. well steven this was a wonderful conversation <laughs> thank you very much for uh, coming along i learned a lot of new things today and i'm really grateful to you for this thank you Thanks for your time. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, yeah, it's like like I say, it's it's in it's in development. There's an evolution. There's a progression. So uh, yeah, the journey is ongoing. So I'm I'm sure in a year's time we can have this similar conversation and compare the, compare the changes. Yeah, it would be amazing to see some big changes in this in the next yes. twelve months. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.